there is some disconnect on the ERAS application itself. Like you have to go back and dig. Hi, this is Alice. This is Shafali. And you're listening to Feeds Advent. Alice, today we're going to be sitting down to talk about tips for how to use our electronic application system, or ERAS as I call it. Is it ERAS? Is it ERAS? <laughs> Who's Wait, that's say? a question. Literally, I guess for like 10 years, I have not known the difference between ERAS and ERAS. Like, uh-huh. like which pronunciation is correct? I am always going to be camp ERAS. I feel like oh. it's... <laughs> I feel pretty strongly about it. Here's my here's my supporting evidence. Yeah, how do we get here? How do we get here? First of all, it's an electronic system. So, mm-hmm. you know, email, the E stands for electronic, email, ERAS. There's a clear precedent. <laughs> number two, <laughs> number two, I feel like ERAS sounds like what it is, which is a program. Like, we don't need to make it sound like a person's name, in my opinion. ERAS, mm, ERAS is a first name. <laughs> ERAS is a tool that you use and then move on with your life, you know? Exactly. (laughs) I feel like in the court of ERAS versus ERAS, we have a clear clear winner here. All right. (laughs) But today we are going to talk to the people who know best about this, Dr. Shanali Basu Mm -hmm. and Dr. Kitty Y, about Mm -hmm. ERAS application system and how to fill it out right. Mm-hmm. So Shanali Basu, she is the fellowship director of the Pediatric Critical Care Fellowship at Children's National. Dr. Kitty Y is the associate program director. We are very excited to sit down with them today and figure out the do's and don'ts of this application process. Yes, it is such a good conversation. Let's get to the episode. You said something about filling out ERAS in the setting of a gap year, and you really couldn't see it on your side if they had taken the gap year. For ERAS, the big thing is being able to look at it, right? Because you see it, there's a part that comes out as a CV, right, that I guess is uploaded. And then there is the actual application part that gets exported from everything that's entered that you all enter into fields. And I haven't seen it from an applicant side of things. But we Mm -hmm. see, we get basically a CV, but then we also get this other thing that has different fields that you all have filled out. And sometimes it's very hard to follow if someone has not done the one thing right after the other. So if someone's done a hospice year or worked for a year, or sometimes even a second fellowship, because only the most recent fellowship will populate there when their program is shown. So if there's any way that when you guys are putting stuff in, if there's a way to kind of look at what it would look like or what it would read like, Mm -hmm. that'd be helpful. There's a lot of times where I won't realize that someone's doing a hospice year or even sometimes a chief year unless you're very, very deliberate about looking at the dates for the start date and end date and how many years it's been. Because there is a field for chief resident, but that doesn't always populate correctly. Um, So I think just make sure that that goes through. Usually we figure it out by the time we're meeting the person, but a lot of times in the screening, you just, you don't, you don't realize that. I think the hardest gap year to track down is usually like the gap between college and medical school, which is honestly not very significant at all, right? Mm -hmm. It's pretty common for people to have gap years during those times. And or in med school, if you do like extra years after medical school, for example, some advanced degree, Mm -hmm. that's often also, you know, like it's not very obvious unless you listed like right there. 
but I agree with Shanali. Like oftentimes we're like, there is some disconnect on the ERAS application itself that is just not very chronological. Like you have to go back and dig in order to figure out if somebody's a chief resident, somebody's doing a hospitalist position and all of that. So print it out and see. Being a hospitalist or being a chief resident is a big, is a big, big a positive, thing. right? So mm-hmm. you really want a program director to see that, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm applying to this specialty and I've done a hospitalist year in that specialty for an entire year, or I, you know, I'm a chief resident, right? Yeah. So you want to make sure that that's not a missed, a missed point and that it says it somewhere else besides just someone figuring out by looking at the dates. Right. I think what I remember, I haven't seen the fellowship ERAS interface, but resident ERAS, you could sort of look at a printable yeah. version. Yeah, yeah. And it was very hard to navigate because I think we've all, we, like, having interviewed then for people who are coming to Children's, I, it, you have to sort of piece to, you have to literally yeah. look at the dates mm-hmm. and figure out when do they do what. Um, so maybe just yeah. look, like trying to do that before you submit it. I yeah, guess and just remember a lot of the program directors are looking at 100, 150, mm-hmm. two, 200 applications, exactly. right? And so... The piecing together of dates is, you know, it's, it may not happen every single time. Yeah. Yeah. I think for the faculties who's interviewing is even harder, right? Because for us, we will go onto the AAMC website that have all the applications sort of broken down into segments. So there's various way to look at things and how everything is there together. Letter recommendations, personal statements, like application broken down into two different ways, but the faculties usually don't get that, right? They get usually like a PDF file from the program director off your ERAS application. So that Mm -hmm. make that ERAS application that much more important, right? To make sure that it is organized because that's all the faculties that is interviewing you guys will see. Mm -hmm. Any way of describing things really well that sticks in your mind or that you wish everyone would do? For hospitalist years, I think really saying what you did, right? So thinking of, because it's what I know, critical care hospitalist, if you're doing that for a year or two years, to say exactly kind of what your role was in the team, because it is different, you know, it's the, the idea of the critical care hospitalist that is a, you know, PEDS resident going to eventually fellowship is a newer thing, right? It's, it hasn't been around forever. And so piecing together exactly what that role was, you know, that you worked independently oversight by an attending or, you know, whether it's a fellow or you, you know, you worked in a team that was this big and these are the kinds of things that you achieved competence in, you know, central lines and intubations and, and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I think that's, I think that's important. Or if you're a hospitalist in a different field, it'd be even more helpful to know exactly what that meant, like what, what your role was during that time. Oh yeah. And what you have achieved competence in. I like that Yeah, in terms of just a way to think about it. When you review the applications, something I've also heard you mention is the existence of a, a photo, an applicant photo on ERAS and, and the fact that you're not even going to see it while you're reviewing the application unless you really click on it. We see the photo um, yeah. when we open the application, right? Because, you know, as the first line screener, right? Like the, the program directors, you will see the photo. First of all, put in a photo. There, there has been application that doesn't have photo and that's just odd, right? Let me just kind of odd. Oh, wow. Um, and then I also feel like this is sort of another thing is when you put your application together, there's like a few things that we also think is important is it, it shows how organized somebody is if the application is put together earlier in the season, right? Mm. Versus come in, you know, like ERAS open on this particular date. 
most of the applicants actually file in usually during that first week. Oh, yeah. I think usually by the end of that first week, we have probably 95% of our application already on ERAS, would you say, right, roughly? Yeah, I very rarely even look after that first week because we yeah. we screen in a different modality mm-hmm. than on ERAS. And so once we pull that first list at the end of the first week, we start looking at them. And so we don't pull them again after that. So an application that's a month late, unless there is some extraordinary circumstance that it had to be late is not a good sign. Yeah, it makes wow. people feel like, do you really want to do this, right? I mean, I feel like if you really feel strongly about something, knowing that this is almost like a rolling admission, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, program need to also hand out slots to applicants in a timely manner because everybody's just got to plan their application season or interview season, right? The programs do, the applicants do. So... I feel like that is something that is etiquette, you know, like sort of like ERAS etiquette is to have all your stuff in ERAS, right? Sooner rather than later. Yeah. And then that it also helped to know about your letter of recommendations, right? So that's the other thing that we sometimes see is the file is not complete, right? So why is this file? It, it could be because the score is not in or it could be because you know, one forgot to offload, I think I've PM two or three applicants and say, I don't see your personal statement. That's like a courtesy, right? Like, because they probably didn't realize that it wasn't uploaded. And then also people with letter recommendation that is not complete, you know, the usual recommendation is three or four, right? Letter recommendation. So try to get your package together. Like you don't, you don't get to read the letter, but you know that if they are there or not. So you really need to stay on the people that is helping you put your package together in a very timely fashion, right? Because of exactly what Shanali said, right? We're going to spend our effort during that first week, maybe two, of when the application come in. And after that, I don't think most program would actually go back every day to check to see if there's any new applications. Mm-hmm. And by the time that if you missed out on that first two weeks, the worry is then maybe all the slots would have been handed out already and then you just left with none. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't realize that uh, it was open for that long. It's the final deadline for applications. So it changed in the last couple of years. It used to be July 15th uh-huh. was like the standard open. I think that we, that program directors could see it. I think applicants were able to start uploading in June. Okay. The first COVID year, it moved very late. I think we weren't able to see it till like end of August wow, or something like that. And end of July, right. Mm-hmm. End of end July, of July. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then this year was like somewhere in between. It was like July mm-hmm. 22nd or something like that. And so gotcha. there's, but it's a quick turnaround, right? So if, if, if your applications, if program directors see your applications end of July, a lot of them are having their first interviews at that last week of August. Right. So that means four weeks for them to screen, offer and schedule, which is not a lot of time. And so if for any reason there is a reason for your a valid reason for your application to be late and you're not hearing back from programs, I would encourage people to to actually email the program director and say, hey, this is why my application is late. And hopefully it's a good reason. And it's now in ARIS that's viewable. You know, you would appreciate the opportunity to interview if, you know, if whatever, you know, and it, it, you might not get it, right? Because most people have set their dates pretty early in the season. Right. And if you're somehow waitlisted, 
it is completely because bigger programs sometimes has a waitlist mm-hmm. system, right? So if you are waitlisted, you can always it is okay to check in with the program director of your program coordinator, you know, mm-hmm. and say, listen, I'm still very very interested in your program. I would feel honored to come interview. And sometimes when that happens, let's say if if a certain number of applicants are waitlisted and you're the one that is equal to all the other applicants, but you you show that persistence, you might actually get the spot to interview, right? Yeah. So just just remember that it is completely okay to write the letter to ask for an interview. Yeah, if you need to be if you need to be in Philly, yes, you should try, right? Like yeah. you should reach out. Yeah, I think from a I think a ge- from a geography standpoint, I think that's a totally reasonable thing to you know if you're waitlisted, if you're flat out rejected. Right. Chances are that there is yeah. a, you know, there's a list yeah. of people yeah. above you. Mm-hmm. But if you're waitlisted, it's totally reasonable to say, hey, you know, my significant other matched there or just got a job there. And so I'm very interested in being in this area if you have if you have positions. We've definitely had that. I also will occasionally get emails from faculty members at places where we've waitlisted their applicant and say, mm. you know, so-and-so got waitlisted. They're excellent. You should really, you really got to meet them. And it's often a faculty member who did not write them a letter of recommendation. It's just someone else that they worked with. And that holds a lot of weight, especially if it's someone that you know, you know, and, and trust. Yeah, right. and trust. So, yeah, I mean, we've that happens every season, it, even vir- virtual and not virtual. That happens all the time. Oh, wow. That is so sort of going directly if it's your, you know, if it's your your life, your significant other yeah. that puts you in a city yeah. versus using using the network you've developed at your institution to yeah. really reach out, make that connection if it's a, a place that you think you should be at. Yeah, absolutely spend a moment on the personal statement and just like what do you guys look for in a personal statement what's the purpose of it yeah uh so this is my opinion only i'm not an expert in in, uh, evaluating personal statements but having read thousands i don't know over (laughs) over a thousand thousand hours on yeah so having read over a thousand of them um there are definitely things that you especially in a stressful time where you're screening all these applications, you, you're definitely skimming them. Mm-hmm. And I will say about 10% stick out as amazing. You know, they're, they're either unique, exceptionally well-written. They just flow well. They're like a literary masterpiece. And then 10% are horrible because not because of content as much as grammar, uh, mm. spacing, punctuation, things that you could, you should easily build a catch. And then the rest of them are right in the middle. And Kitty and I score them exactly the same. So do I think a personal statement will make or break someone? It might make something like, it might be something where we say like, this is, this is really awesome. This person, we would love to meet this person. Um, I think it'd be very, very unlikely that a personal statement would hurt your chance of getting an interview if it's just average. I don't know. That's what opinion Unless it's very strange. Yeah. 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 Like if it's yeah, that I mean, 10% of weird I mean, I mean you have yeah. sand, right. we have seen bad. the 10% <laughs> of the strange, you know, like, yeah. yes, it is important to stand out, right? But don't make it so abstract that people lose track of what you're trying to say, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You I think the bottom the line is yeah. there should yeah. still be something embedded in it of why you think you should do this. 
what what do you see yourself doing in yeah in this field you know that's sort of almost expected like at the end like you should talk you should say mm -hmm. you know i believe that i would be successful yeah. in the next 10 years or whatever in some verbiage i am hopeful that i can be doing this right yeah. mm -hmm. i think it's always nice to identify some interest it doesn't need to be the forever yeah. interest you can easily change it when it first started fellowship but it's nice to see some some people who's thought about a fellowship more than just a feel you know mm -hmm. um you need to think about it a little bit more than just a feel going in so I don't know. Like I, I don't. I don't usually draw to a certain kind of personal statement. I, I think. I think there's a lot of the generic. I think myself is guilty in writing a very generic personal statement. Um, I did get an interview. I did match, and I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> but just be yourself on a personal statement. I think. I think that's that's hard because you're trying to sell yourself a little bit, but you're trying. But you should not try to sound too confident in your personal statement, yeah. right? And if you do specify a certain place, like, you know, I want to be at, at you know, some people do that. Right. They have different personal statements for different places. Yeah. Make sure you're uploading the right one to the right oh, institution. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Sli slippery <laughs> so slope. Risky. Yeah. yeah. So I would advise yeah. against ever doing that. But if you feel very strongly that you want to do that for that personal touch, one, it's not needed. But if you still feel strongly, make sure they go to the right institution. Um, cause that's just a pet peeve. Yeah. I think, and not really so as to the personal or the clinical abilities, but just to their attention to deep. Yeah. I imagine that that doesn't, that doesn't sit well when you're like reviewing all of these well, applications yeah. and then they just say no. something about, you know, yeah. we, we have gotten yeah, wrong letter recommendations before yeah. to yeah. a different Hopefully. name. Yeah. Oh. I've even gotten a phone call from somebody to endorse a fellow but he's endorsing somebody else who didn't apply that's just yeah yeah just just get all the get get all the fact checking you know making sure that you know those silly mistakes don't make those silly mistakes right yeah and when it's a letter when it's a letter you know it's it's hard to hold it against the candidate right so every once in a while you know we know attendings cut and paste a lot i know because i've seen the same letters you know a couple of years Same in a row, season. right? Yeah. So we know that happens. So, you know, you don't really hold it against the fellow because it's not their choice. They didn't get to see the letter of recommendation, but the personal statement is is totally up to them. So just making making sure you're deliberate about what you're writing when you do that. Oh. Well, thank you so much for sharing these tips with us. You're welcome. Yeah. No, we really appreciate this it. Super valuable. Awesome. Well, good luck to everyone this season and next. <laughs>